This is Energy of Business Moments with Michael Seip, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their business success into your life and business. Energy of Business Moments is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Michael Seip. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Energy of Business Moments podcast. I am still Michael Seip, and I am the host for this episode. Today, I am thrilled to have Hardy Smith on the show. He's got a lot of interesting background, whether it's NASCAR, whether it's working for nonprofits, working in the executive level. But he's got one thing that I think is going to be very valuable for this audience. He's got a great book out there. It's called Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game. Now, Hardy's been a consultant, speaker, worked in the high-performance NASCAR industry, and he's a senior leader in other areas like local government, chambers of commerce, things like that. But there's some dynamics in his book that he talks about for a nonprofit and how that board operates. And in fact, some of our audience are people who serve on nonprofit organizations. So Hardy, I am thrilled to have you here on the show, obviously. Welcome. Michael, thank you so very much. And I, I, I totally resonate with your energy theme and uh, being a, with a NASCAR background, high performance world and NASCAR racing, I can, I can certainly um, feel the energy or lack of around uh, board situations. And I look forward to getting into that with you. Thank you. Yeah, great. Well, let's tell us a little bit about you and your background, and then what led you to write the book? Uh, Michael, thank you. I, I get asked quite often about from Hardy from from NASCAR to nonprofits. You know how in the world, how did that all happen? Uh, I, Michael, I worked in that high performance world of NASCAR racing for over thirty years. Uh, tremendous, tremendous experience. I worked nationwide. I, I was not a driver, by the way. Uh, so I was in the business of the business. Um, I my my one or two sentence uh, job mandate was to identify potential problems and make sure they didn't ex they didn't happen. Um, if for some reason I slipped up and something fell through the cracks, I was supposed to fix it and fix it in a hurry. And at the same time, look for opportunities um, and make potential opportunities happen. So from with that mindset, and I and part of my professional uh, uh, career and also personal interest, I've worked with nonprofits, chambers of commerce, associations nationwide for a long period of time. So uh, in doing a whole lot of uh, public speaking on behalf of, of the NASCAR industry, um, so it was an, when the opportunity uh, to create my own uh, professional speaking and consulting business. Uh, I had worked on developing that for a while. And when that opportunity uh, came to fruition, uh, I, I look forward to that, making that transition. So I, what I do, I, you know, not being a nonprofit professional, I'm not a nonprofit lifer, although I've volunteered and worked as a consultant, I bring a different mindset. I bring uh, the NASCAR mindset that I was trained in. So 
what is it that I do differently? Well, I challenge. I don't accept anything for face value. I'm always questioning. It's just like the crew chiefs uh, now, and we're in, we're in Speed Week's time in Daytona Beach. Uh, so first place car, the wins, they're going to tear that car down nut by nut, bolt by bolt. They want to find out why they won so they can do it again. And then if you finish second through last, they tear that car down because they want to find out why they didn't win and make sure they avoid that. So I, I'm always looking for what are the situations that nonprofits face that need a solution that haven't been getting the, the, the results that they really need. And so I bring that perspective into it. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a contrarian, I think, in a fun way and uh, a, a total pragmatic. Um, so I, I, I try to bring it real. Yeah, well, bringing it real means also, like you said, asking those questions, that curiosity, if you will, as to why are we doing things this way, that different perspective you talked about. And quite often, as, as we know, an organization can kind of get set in its ways. It becomes tradition after a period of time. And so if you don't have that outside observer coming in and asking those questions, um, it's very little opportunity for them to then pivot into those new opportunities you talked about where they could go in a new direction that would be actually quite beneficial, but because they've been so focused in tradition, they don't see those opportunities. So I, I love what you, what you bring there. Tell me a little bit then about um, one of the dynamics you see, because we do talk about energy a lot here. And when I'm talking energy, of course, people know it's the thoughts we think, the emotions we feel, and then the actions we take because of those thoughts and emotions. And so it could be just for the one person, maybe it's the CEO or the director, but then it can be the whole board, for example, or the whole organization. So what are some dynamics you see and you write about in your book? Well, I, I really, really, again, like, like your energy theme. It's um, the world of nonprofits, and especially in the social service sector. Um, it's all about passion. And those individuals who work in that sector, you know, thank you so very much for the great work that you do. You're overworked, understaffed, underappreciated, underfunded, um, but yet you still keep plugging away. But there is a, a tremendous, tremendous, very passionate energy uh, around that, that group as a, as a, as a collective uh, cohort. Um, those who serve nonprofit organizations, who volunteer, volunteers always have a, a very energetic approach. You know, they, they, they bring to a volunteer situation. Why do people volunteer, Michael? They want to make a difference. They want to have an impact. They want to know time and sacrifice uh, of effort mattered for, for a reason. And so, again, a whole lot of energy around that. And, and as board members, as volunteers, board members feel very strongly about their work uh, with nonprofits or chambers of commerce or associations. And then, of course, the organizations have an energy, too. And that's where... A little bit later on, I think we're going to head into this conversation where there's a collision of energies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good Good point. Yeah, we, we do have those sort of high moments in our business or in our group 
uh, life or especially in the in the passion towards doing something good kind of world of the nonprofits. And so, yeah, we can have those high moments where we're making a difference, right? But then there's also the, the low moments too. And when we talk about the low moments, it can be individual or it can be the whole group. And that whole group sometimes is responding to the leadership. And that leadership, of course, is sometimes that board of directors so that sort of maybe dysfunctional or negative energy where there's conflict, that there's some emotion in there. So you've obviously seen that. What's going on there? Well, the, the work that eventually led uh, to the book, um, I realized, and, and I want to I jump on your, your question around uh, you know, what was maybe a, a low moment and, and kind of repurpose that into like maybe a, a, an initial challenge that, that was being faced. And I saw early on, well, in my own experience, but then when I started focusing on it from a, from a, a my own company standpoint and, and directly uh, paying full-time attention, uh, the, the realization that there is so much angst and frustration uh, around board engagement. There's either too much or not enough. And either way, and either way is not good. And, and I could see, Michael, that there's all this advice that's out there. There are other books, there are other speakers, there are other the trainers and their conferences and, you know, uh, webinars and just all kind of advice, their best practices that nonprofits, associations, chambers of commerce have followed for years and years related to board members and board member relationships. And you know what? The advice on how to create engagement or fix what's wrong doesn't work or let me say it hasn't worked. Um, and I think the trend is kind of in, it's not gonna work. So we know that, we know that old, that old saying about, well, what, it, what do you call it when uh, you keep trying something the same way and hoping for a different result? Well, you know, I saw that a different result was needed. So I, I launched out on a quest and the quest, Michael, was to answer the question, why don't board members do what they're supposed to do? So with that contrarian viewpoint, challenging, not taking the status quo, the same path, looking for a different path, what I did was reach out and as research subjects, if you will, I surveyed board members, not staff leaders, but board members. And I said, hey, look, Board members are getting the, the, the finger of blame pointed for not doing what you're supposed to do. Why is that? And they shared that with me. And I did uh, nationwide research, and I will be the first person to say I am not an academic. I am not what I would call a qualified, certified surveyor person. I, I, give this full disclosure in the book, but the uh, the amazing thing was uh, when I did my research, 
all and I used open-ended questions and got back open-ended answers. So that's the that's part of the secret here that worked for me. Is of course that all came back, all the responses came back with different words, but they as I laid out all print out all these printed out all these email responses all over the dining room floor, the kitchen floor, my wife is having a fit. So look, they're all saying the same thing. So I knew that. Okay, well, they all are identifying the same reasons why good board members turn off. And so that kept, you know, that inspired me to continue the quest that ultimately led to the publishing of the writing and the publishing of the book. And the the big reveal that the research showed me was that the nonprofits Nonprofit leaders are pointing that finger of blame to their volunteer board members. Board members are pointing a finger of blame at the nonprofit leaders or association leaders or chamber leaders they're serving with, pointing a finger of blame at them, Michael, for them having a less than positive board experience, therefore turning off, becoming disengage or acting inappropriately. So now the two fingers of blame pointing at each other, the big reveal is that's the blame game. And there there is one. And so then the next step in all of that was to identify, well, what are the solutions? What are workable solutions? And let's do something differently. And that's what um, the book accomplishes. Yeah, go. I love how you talked about how you did your research, because eventually you get to the point where when the messaging seems to have a theme to it, there's some validity to that theme. Yes. And so you you clearly picked up on that. And then, of course, your uh, perspective of like, OK, well, what do we do about it? How do we address that and stop that that blame and that finger pointing? Because as we know in any organization, if there's a lot of finger pointing going on, there's not a lot getting done. And so you got to fix that. So what without revealing too much about your book, what would you say, just maybe give an example for, for how board members might blame each other and then one approach, because it is a low energy kind of thing. It's a catabolic kind of energy thing when there's blame going on. You know, I, here's the thing that you're helping me uh, ha- have a new creative thought. So I'm really enjoying our conversation. You know, there's an energy that I, I shared that, you know, that nonprofit leaders have, and there's an energy that volunteer board members have. But when you have a dysfunctional board situation or a board isn't functioning properly, there is there is a parallel negative energy sucking going on, and it's from both sides. And then when I say both sides, automatically that should be a red flag, right? That means, you know, both sides, there's an issue there, right? It's not holding hands and and, and going down the path together. Um, And the the number one thing is that the board members tell me is poor communication is the number one reason that most of the mistakes in board relationships exist. And anytime I'm, I'm speaking or doing training, especially around effective communications, you know, I'll ask, and, and especially 
if there are ladies in the audience, I'll say, look, ladies, help the guys answer this question. Guys, don't try to answer. You're going to hurt yourself. But I'll ask the question. I'll throw it out there, Michael. What's the number one most important element to a good, positive, successful long-term relationship? 100% of the time, the answer comes back, communication every single time. And, and so it's not about communication being more. It's about effective communication. And board members, if, if you stop and think about it, each individual person around a board room, board table in a meeting, each one of those have different personality preferences. And each one of them have personality characteristics. They all have individual uh, communication preferences on how they want to receive information, how they process information. So your staff stayed up late hours and hours for night after night preparing reports. And you're so frustrated because you know the board members aren't going to read them. And you've you've you know you've finished just in time to to run them through the copy machine and get them all collated and they're there on the table just within minutes of the board members walking in. Well, you know what are the red flags you could already see? Number one, you're already frustrated because you know you've got pretty much a worthless piece of work. I mean, it's good information, but no one's going to read it. Well, why is that? They got it within minutes of walking into the meeting. So, you know, reconsider. Number one, produce your report further in advance so your board members have actually time to read it, the ones who will, and study it and be prepared to be a good board member, asking good questions and listening to the report and being able to digest it. Another thing is, is just quickly take an assessment and, and when should a communication assessment occur? Maybe when you're in the recruiting phase, you're in the orientation phase, and you just simply ask someone, hey, Michael, how do you prefer that we communicate board information to you? You may like reports. You may like executive summaries. If it's a particularly contentious uh, topic, you may appreciate a, an advanced telephone call, or if the situation merits a personal visit. But from a staff standpoint, think about what your board members need to know and what do they want to know. Um, and I've written an article, it's one of my fun ones, about uh, board members feeling like mushrooms from a communication standpoint. They're kept in the dark and covered with well, you know what mushrooms are covered with in, 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 in a grow house. So if that's how your board members are feeling about communication, it's just not good. And so that's where it, it really gets started. Um, that's where it really gets started. If you can fix that, you've, you're going to go a long way in getting the board dynamic and the positive energy being generated uh, rather than the negative energy. Yeah, that's a really good information and some steps, obviously, that they can take to improve that communication piece. And it's not surprising that communication is probably the biggest issue, but the way you outline it and you articulate 
a scenario almost of just showing up in time to get the printed copy and trying to play catch up. Of course, you're not going to be able to build a rapport because they're not even ready to get the information ahead of time, especially like you talked about the contentious issue ones, like maybe that phone call would be ahead of time would be that valuable, right? Because it is absolutely talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on your own um, work here, you've obviously talked about, you know, the blaming side. Um, what are some of the benefits of using the tools you put in the book uh, that then changes that dynamic to maybe a higher, more collaborative kind of energy between the board, between the leadership of the nonprofit and the team members? Number one is make sure you have the right people. Yeah, I'm, I'm a sports nut. I mean, I, I like I like competing and I, I you know, so teams who want to win championships get championship players and coaches who want to win champions uh, ch championships are going to recruit players with purpose and process, have the standard of skills uh, and experience and the, the athleticism and, and the raw talent and the physical attributes that it takes to win a championship. So, and, and, you know, I, I coached, uh, I coached a youth league basketball team. We had middle school boys uh, for, for a few years, a lot of fun. We did a little bit of travel. We weren't prima donnas. We were just good kids with good parents who wanted to be involved. And, and uh, we learned a little bit about basketball and teamwork and a lot of other life lessons, probably more, more important, more important than basketball. But, you know, we, we were in some, we were in some pretty big tournaments and played against some heavyweight teams, probably that we had no business in doing. I'm not saying we competed with, I'm just saying we were in the game. That's all I'm saying. But Michael, what we saw, we actually in the sixth grade, we had, we had players who were being scouted by Division I top-level basketball teams and even, listen to this, NBA scouts. They were already tagging, targeting and tagging young boys in middle school for where they see these kids in the future. Uh, these kids already had shoe deals, and I'm talking – major shoe company deals, not just a pair of sneakers. I mean, deals. Um, and so it was phenomenal. So the lesson that I got from that was if it was that important in college sports or professional sports to do advanced recruiting, know who your pro pool of prospects are. What about that for chambers of commerce or associations? Shouldn't you be thinking in advance of who your potential board members might be for the future? Even go so far as to, wow, this person isn't even a part of our organization, but they could be a great future board member. We should put him on, on our recruitment uh, push to get them involved. And so now, because what happened, that helps overcome when I say recruit with purpose and process. Too many organizations wait until the last minute. They don't go out and get the people they really need. They're not really thinking championships. They're just trying to fill the roster. And they'll get good people, but I call those people slot fillers. They're there to occupy a seat. 
not really for what they bring to the table. Maybe it'll work out later on, maybe it will, but quite often the results speak for themselves, it doesn't work out. So you've got the wrong people. Another thing that, that will help is to treat your board members like high value assets. And so rather than the slot fillers that quite often they are, or maybe the mushrooms they sometimes feel like from a communication standpoint, look at who most organizations want the, the best and the brightest, right? To be on their board. Well, if that's who you've been successful in getting to your board, those are impact players. Michael, they're not there to waste their time. They want to make a difference. They want to know something is going to be uh, done with their investment of time and resources. So treat them that way. Rather, you know, reconsider the makeup of your, your board meetings so that you're making your meetings matter. So at the end of the meeting, if a board member is asked, uh, what did you accomplish at your meeting today? And the answer is, I really don't know. We heard some reports and that was it, but there was no lively debate. There was no questioning. There was no challenging of, 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 of a top issue that we might be faced with. I'm really not even sure I, why I was there. So, you know, you've got, I've got Michael Sipe, a top, you know, top resource, five-star recruit on our board. Man, look, we want to get into Michael's mind. We want his the benefit of his experience, his thoughts. We want him to question. We want him engaged in dialogue. If you can get your board to that level, now you have a strategic board. And I was asked on, a, on an earlier uh, interview about, well, what, how, can, how can organizations prepare for the future? And I said, very simply. Number one, know that we finally figured out the uncertainty and change is actually not new. It's recurring. It never, ever goes away, does it? It's just a question of what it's all about at this particular point in time. The way you can future-proof your organization is to develop your board into a high-value asset, and they can help provide the way and the path forward for dealing with whatever change, whatever disruption comes your way. Hey, you know, I hadn't really thought of a board being described as your high value asset, but the way you just described it is so appropriate. And, and getting to know the skill sets of the board members, recruiting to get those skill sets in if you particularly need them in your organization, yeah, clearly makes sense. I also like the idea of getting to know them at a personal level. Everybody's personality is a little different. So we know that, you know, with Myers-Briggs type indicator or all the other personalities. Absolutely. That you can dial in how you work with that person based off their type of uh, personality. And, um, and then, of course, you have things like the Gallup Strengths Finder and other tools like that, that or the energy leadership index assessment I use for, for leadership side. So when you pull all of that together, you can actually identify and optimize how that board interacts and communicates. And uh, I love what you're just bringing up because that's, that's so, so true. Thank you very much. A lot of work to be done.
It is, it is. But you know, when they're there, when the board's the high value asset and we at the strategic advisor board, we kind of play that role ourselves. We, we hope we are playing that role ourselves when we're working with our companies, because we're providing that sort of level of engagement. Like, why are we doing it this way? How can we strategically think about pivoting in a new direction that will actually bring in more growth or benefit the company more, right? So, so applying those kinds of principles to a nonprofit board and the interaction there with, with the nonprofit makes a lot, a lot of sense. I'm and and I, I would also suggest to Michael that so many of your listeners are going to be uh, uh, business leaders, they're, they're entrepreneurs, they're running their own companies, uh, could be C-suite level uh, business leaders. And, and everyone, every one of those are probably uh, volunteering their time serving on some uh, nonprofit board, a chamber of commerce board, could be an association affiliated with their particular uh, profession, a board for the association. And if you're having these types of frustrations, well, as a good board leader, here are the tips that will help you help your team build that positive energy that will create the board that you would really rather be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to eliminate those negative moments or those challenges. Correct. Right? Absolutely. But if Absolutely. You're a functioning team communicating well, guess what? Your chances of success and adapting to those challenges and Absolutely. solutions goes up immensely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, great point about, uh, about who actually ends up serving on a lot of those boards. So Hardy, this has been really, really interesting, but I'd also like to know a little bit more about you. If you could talk to anybody, speak to anybody, deceased or living, who would that be? And why would you want to talk with them? I, you know, Michael, I've given thought to this and um, I think it would be my, my father's mother. So my grandmother on my father's side, uh, she was a great, great individual uh, passed away very early in my, in my life. So I was old enough, uh, to remember her. Um, but she was a very sweet individual. And I, I certainly, uh, it would certainly have been nice to have had her around a lot longer and, uh, let her maybe kind of see how the kids turned out. Yeah, there's, there's a, sometimes for people when they when they're on the show they talk about a specific family member, um, and sure. Uh, and so for for you, yeah, you you said you know passed on when you're quite young, but but what was it about her that was so unique that that you've? Well, you know that's a that's a great question, and I again I I've given thought, and she was a very caring individual. She was a very kind individual. She always. Um, she was willing to help others and she would do things. She wasn't, I don't remember that she was involved in clubs or organizations or things like that, but just personally, if she saw someone who needed help, she would reach out and help others. And I think that uh, somewhere, somewhere in, in the background of who I am today, um, there's some of that spirit uh, you know, that, that was, that, that has stuck with me for a long time. And I, I think that's one of the motivators of why I'm interested in, in working and helping those who help others. 
Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is that caring spirit of her translates into meat has meaning to you. And then you're doing something with it yourself where you're trying to help an organization that's got a passion, that's got a mission and you want to enable that. And, and that compassion piece comes through for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Good. Well, Hardy, I've obviously ha enjoyed having a great conversation with you today. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you or get more, more about your book or website or your services, how can they reach you or do that? Uh, thank you very much, Michael. I'm really easy to find. The website is hardysmith.com. And uh, my email is hardy at hardysmith.com. And you can get the book on the website. You can get the book on Amazon. And Amazon's running a discounted price right now, by the way. So uh, grab a copy there. It's both in the Kindle version and the print version on Amazon. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Well, Hardy, again, thanks again for being on the show. Enjoyed having you here and wish you the best and, and success. And I'm looking forward to hearing about who you're helping out next. Michael, thank you so very much. And thank you to your audience for listening in and watching today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Energy of Business Moments with your host, Michael Seip. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates and we will see you on the next episode.